the aim initially was uh, to make a national impact in STEM um, by utilizing our 150 university consortium. So initially, OSA was established as an additional avenue for advancing our research and development work with our core university partners within that consortium. Because we know, re, you know, research is a lot of research is being conducted uh, in the university setting. Um, so as we delve deeper into OSA's potential, we recognize the opportunity to leverage ORU's 75 years of experience. You're listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join Michael Holtz and his guests for conversations about all things ORAU. They'll talk about ORAU's storied history, our impact on an ever-changing world, our innovative scientific and technical solutions for our customers, and our commitment to the communities where we do business. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. As ever, I'm your host, Michael Holtz, from the Communications and Marketing Department here at ORAU. And I'm chatting with a new friend today, um, a new face, a relatively new face here at ORAU, um, Dr. Liv Blackman, who is the director of the ORAU STEM Accelerator. Um, and today we're going to talk about what that is why it's important, and all of the things related to um, this very new, very important initiative for ORAU. Um, but first, let me bring to the table Dr. Liv Blackman. Liv, welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Thank you so much for hosting me today. So glad to have you. So, um, Liv, you're the director of the ORU STEM Accelerator, but tell me a little bit about, you know, your background, who you are, and, you know, just a little bit about where you came from and what brought you to ORU. Yeah, thanks so much. So, um, I'm absolutely thrilled to be a part of the vibrant ORU community. Um, as you mentioned, I'm the new director um, or new-ish director. I've been here almost a year for ORU's um, STEM Accelerator. So, I may be referring it to um, as OSA. Um, that's kind of our, our uh, name. Um, so, my professional journey has been nothing short of exciting, um, as I've dedicated a majority of my career to international capacity building. Um, this has involved collaborating with U.S. federal agencies and international government bodies, really to enhance their capabilities. So my expertise has been pivotal in bolstering the resilience and security of critical infrastructures spanning from energy to water to transportation to health to banking and finance. So um, a lot of the critical infrastructure sectors. Um, uh, my academic path has taken me to George Washington University and George Mason University, um, where I was an associate professor and um, associate director for information um, technology. Um, and then I was at the executive director for uh, the Serious Gaming Institute. Um, I delved into, in, in the academic setting, um, I delved into cutting edge fields like cybersecurity, information technology, and kind of the di dynamic convergence of artificial intelligence with innovative technologies um, as it really relates to education, to training, to workforce capacity, and even working with military agencies and veterans in that space. Uh, 
at the core of my academic journey is my PhD, right? So that centers around uh, my PhD is actually in sociology, which is oftentimes, you know, puzzling to people because I went from sociology to security and information technology, which typically doesn't happen. Um, <laughs> but um, my PhD is centered actually around empowering underrepresented um, populations um, in how they go into the STEM world, right? So my PhD really looked at individuals from like low socioeconomic backgrounds, refugees, immigrants, and a diverse range of people in the U.S. Um, and how can those underrepresented minorities um, go into STEM fields? So that's actually part of my dissertation was really focused on looking at how innovative education technology can use be useful to transform um, underrepresented communities. So as you can tell in my career, I'm really passionate about shaping education, training, and workforce strategies that uplift communities, either in the U.S. or internationally, and really just ensuring the success in STEM fields, right? And, and um, you know, it's just an honor to bring that kind of unique perspective and experience to the ORU community. And it feels like everything in your background has led to, right, this moment of launching the ORU STEM Accelerator. And we're recording this on November the 1st in kind of preparation for November the 8th, which is National STEM Day, which feels like the perfect opportunity to launch a public conversation about ORU STEM Accelerator. So, Liv, tell me... Um, you know, kind of in a nutshell, what the ORU STEM Accelerator is. Yeah, absolutely. So the STEM Accelerators um, is really, our vision is to be the nation's leading catalyst for advancing STEM education through transformative and innovative approaches with the ultimate goal of strengthening our national economy, our global economic, um, and technical leadership. Um, we're very uh, focused on national security, um, and we're really looking to build a network of public-private partners that will collaborate through research, um, innovative, uh, innovative training and education to transform the U.S. STEM workforce and strengthen America's global leadership in STEM. Um, you know, as I mentioned, um, some, some of the, actually, sorry, our areas of em emphasis include, you know, workforce strategy, capacity building, education, training, and qualifications, pipeline, recruitment, placement, retention. And, you know, we're really collaborating with um, ORIU's DEIA um, office so that we can make sure all of our practices are inclusive to DEIA, right? So we're collaborating with our offices um, here. Um, I do think it would be really paramount as we talk about, you know, you know, what is o OSA. I think it. I think it would be really helpful just to give a couple minute explanation on, like, how did we even come here, right? How, how did OSA yeah, get envisioned? We're looking at solutions for some maybe concerns that that we have um, in the country, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So and I think that's kind of where our journey began. Um, this is pre uh, pre me coming to ORU. So I think it would just be helpful for like a few minutes just to talk a little bit about our journey from from the inception of it, from the birth of it to its current yeah. mission. Because we've we've evolved in the last year. Um, so sure. OSA was originally envisioned by the ORU board um, in June of 2022 with really a primary goal to enhance and expand our collaboration with the 150 universities, uh, university consortium partners that ORU has maintained for, you know, five, six decades. Um, right. So the aim initially was uh, to make a national impact in STEM um, by utilizing our 150 university consortium. So initially, OSA was established as an additional avenue for advancing our research and development work with our core university partners within that consortium. Because we know, re, you know, research is a lot of research is being conducted uh, in the university setting. Um, so as we delve deeper into OSA's potential, we recognize the opportunity to leverage ORU's 75 years of experience. Um, in nuclear, right? So the experience could be directed towards the challenges in STEM education. Um, and we were thinking about how do we expand ORIU because most of ORIU is very targeted within federal agencies. So we were thinking about how do we expand that outside of federal agencies? Um, and, you know, and how do we address those STEM workforce gaps beyond federal agencies? So can we look at partnering with local state government bodies or industry, academia, nonprofits, research organizations? All of these organizations really grapple with, you know, the critical gaps in the areas of STEM workforce, right? And so we started seeing these gaps and we started talking to these different um, groups of people. And we realized that through our discussions, a lot of these people struggled with the same things, but they weren't united. They weren't coming together for unification for a greater impact. So they all tackled these challenges with their individual domains, right? Well, you know, why would I, I'm an industry partner. Why would I work with academia? Why would I bring in nonprofits or, or local state? Um, but we saw the power in bringing together the entities to collectively address STEM capacity building. Um, and so this collaborative approach really allowed, you know, it really allowed to jointly build STEM awareness programs, establish talent pipelines, access a wider talent. So one of the primary focuses that I'm going to talk about in the presentation is really kind of how we're enhancing this holistic ecosystem take um, and how can ORU, you know, think about building, um, forming partnerships with organizations outside of the federal agencies. And I, and I know it's already being done with another division called OGS within ORU. Um, it's, it's, you know, they're, they're already starting to look, or they're already starting to work, I believe with, with other um, industry partners. But, you know, our expansion is really um, is really looking at how do we have uh, a larger footprint um, for RAU um, in terms of that. So, Liv, understanding all of that, I mean, it's a huge undertaking, right? So what are the, the mission, vision and goals of the, the ORU STEM Accelerator? 
Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So our vision is very focused on leading the development of a sustainable, diverse, and innovative global STEM environment that really drives U.S. competitiveness and fosters equitable access to educational opportunities in STEM. Our mission, um, so our mission includes fostering cross sector partnerships, as I mentioned before. We know that organizations are operating in these silos and we're really working to bring together those silos to build, to build this holistic approach. We are promoting evidence-based research and innovative solutions and providing training and resources to equip the next generation of STEM workers um, to meet these future demands. So, um, you know, based on what we believe needs to happen, we set four pretty um, pretty deep uh, strategic goals, um, which you'll see all kind of interconnect and support our drive to improve this like STEM ecosystem. So first, um, we are mobilizing public-private partners, um, and that's key to building the right ecosystem. Um, And this is going to bolster, you'll see, goals two, three, and four. So goal two, and one of our really primary focus areas, is designing collaborative research and development with our partners. So through our work, we hope to better understand how effective current STEM learning environments work and where can they be improved to address those needs? Again, with those like public-private partners. Um, You know, third from from those research and development outcomes. So, you know, here we have the public-private partnerships, then we have the research and development, and then we take that research and development and we're focused on really gaining a deeper understanding of, of potential solutions, right? So, Research and development, we often refer to as like discovery and then discovery into solutions, right? So how do we take that discovery and support an integrated, customized and innovative STEM education? Um, And then finally, the fourth one, so you'll see like, right, it's kind of like a, 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 a cyclical approach. Finally, you know, we find ways to inform and transform these solutions at the local, state, and national level. So it's it's kind of a complete package. Um, and so our goals at OSA are centered around actually three um, sector areas. So okay. number one, and the most, the biggest priority for for OSA. Um, for fiscal year 24 uh, and and forward. So uh, our biggest priority is nuclear science and technology. Um, now that's very broad, right? Nuclear S&T is everything from energy to weapons. What we're really focused on is we're putting our primary focus, um, and I'm going to dive deeper into this later on in the podcast, is really focused on nuclear energy. Um, And so um, our vision, you know, doesn't stop there. You know, we're hoping to use that piloted program um, in in fiscal year 24 to uh, grow into critical infrastructure around global water security and um, space manufacturing. So the road ahead is really filled with promise and innovation um, in the nuclear energy sector. And I can't wait to share, you know, what we're doing at OSA later on in the podcast. Awesome. 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 Yeah, there's definitely a lot going on. Um, And I know um, you and, and others have been working hard to um, bring this about. Um, if if I could, and I know we've touched on this a little bit, yeah. why is this important now? Why is it important yeah. that we're doing this right now? Yeah, gr- great question. Um, you know, 
there's an urgent need for STEM talent. So we're launching a STEM accelerator because it's high time we really address a pressing concern. We know the United States is falling behind its international competitors when it comes to STEM talent and skills. Um, the shortfall has left us with a critical shortage of qualified workers to fill essential positions. We know that's happening in nuclear energy. Uh, recently, we've had to hire, I think, something like 2,000 um, Taiwanese to, to, um, uh, for, for um, a nuclear power plant facility. Um, so because we don't have our own internal um, internal workforce. So the, okay. it's very urgent. So the root of the issue, so why is this happening? I, th I think it's probably a multifaceted problem. I, I believe that our training and education programs have to evolve and keep pace with the ever-changing demands of what we're needing of, this, of the modern job market. And we need to equip students and workers with the skills required to meet those demands. So this kind of means rethinking um, our approach to education and training in critical STEM areas, nuclear being one. Um, we need to really shift towards a more flexible and inclusive approach, breaking down the silos that often separate different sectors and regions, um, and, and really fostering that cross-functional, cross-disciplinary method um, so we can avoid fragmented efforts and inefficiencies. Um, education and training programs need to become more responsive to the needs of employers and workers. And it's about aligning our efforts with the ever-evolving job market. So, you know, we're launching OSA to be a catalyst for this kind of positive change. Um, our primary initial focus, again, is in the nuclear um, energy sector. And, and we're setting the stage for, for that kind of um, new approaches to, which I'll talk about, to STEM education. Um, and OSA is really dedicated to creating a centralized hub for um, nuclear energy um, and bringing together employers and educators and policymakers with our partners, not just for industry, but for not for local and, and uh, sorry, local and state governments, for nonprofits. Um, and so in essence, OSA is our answer. We believe OSA is one of the answers to the growing demands for education. Um, and we're looking at this from a forward-looking initiative aimed at overcoming the challenges that have held us back and driving this future in the United States. So Liv, you've talked about, you know, this critical need um, really kind of across the board. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of, there are a lot of issues, but why is it particularly important and why are we focused to start with on nuclear energy? That's a great question. So before we dive deeper into our conversation, um, let's kind of set the stage. Um, our nation really finds itself at a critical juncture in the realm of clean energy, um, striving for an ambitious goal of becoming carbon neutral. So our right. nature, our, so we know that America is moving towards right this clean energy future, um, mm -hmm. and we need that energy to not only be clean but reliable and cost effective. So nuclear facilities can cleanly power small towns, big cities, and everywhere in between. Nuclear means we can create a clean energy future faster and more affordably than with renewables alone. Um, so nuclear provides kind of that clean, reliable, secure energy we can count on in the energy future. It's constantly reliable, you know, 24-7, 365, rain, mm -hmm. shine, hurricanes. Nuclear power is the kind of clean energy of the future. Um, right. 
it does so no matter what's outside, right? Um, and so it's also very cost effective. So our nation needs to be able to, you know, independently produce its own energy. Next generation nuclear facilities are smaller, simpler to construct and more affordable than ever. So nuclear um, increases our energy independencies by providing the steady, secure supply here at home. Okay, so that sets the stage, right? We so, sorry, let me just yeah. step in and just say, so we know that nuclear energy is undergoing this sort of renaissance, right? As you right. mentioned, it's yes. more cost-effective, it's, it's more affordable, facilities are smaller, they're quote-unquote portable, you know, all of those sorts of things that, we, that we're talking about. Um, and we need to be ready for that. We need to be ready, and we... We need people who are capable of, of being part of that industry. And that's really kind of where OSA comes in. You're, you're spot on, right? So nuclear power is not only a source of new investments and cost-effective clean energy, but it's also a, a vital contributor to maintaining affordable electricity, right? Mm -hmm. And guess what? High-quality jobs. So right, right. yet the U.S. nuclear energy industry faces significant challenges in attracting and retaining a qualified workforce, you know, retirements, retention issues, inflation, shifting demographics. I mean, I can go on. This is all documented from NEI, Nuclear Energy Institute. Um, and projections are suggesting worsening labor market conditions over the next decade, extending into 2060. So highlighting wow. the urgent need to address these workforce challenges are huge. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but recent legislation initiatives such as the Inflation Reflection Act um, represent significant federal investments, all geared towards propelling the United States towards an ambitious decarbonization goal, right? right. So a, a substantial portion of this funding is dedicated to strengthening guess what, nuclear energy and our transition to clean energy, right? So NEI came out with a report that more than 90% of our existing nuclear power plants um, are extending their operating license to 80 years um, and imminent deployment of advanced reactors, right? So right. the industry faces an immediate need to ensure a steady supply of diverse and highly qualified workers. Um, you know, as I was mentioning in the realm of advanced reactors alone, the DOE foresees a need for 236,000 skilled professionals to oversee manufacturing, construction, operation. Um, and those proje projections are revealing a challenging U.S. labor market all over the next decade and into 2060. So again, these this necessitates um, not just OSA, but the community <laughs> to proactively approach how are we going to meet these critical workforce challenges, right? The industry is already struggling. Federal government's putting in more money. We can't retain qualified personnel, um, you know, and uh, yet we're going to be in this kind of mission to create, you know, this nuclear ecosystem. Um, and we don't, we don't have really a strategy around that. Um, and, and so from, from what we're hearing in terms of these kind of critical nature of the nuclear energy sector um, and needing this highly skilled and diverse workforce, um, OSA is creating two different kind of avenues. Our first one is really creating a holistic nuclear ecosystem. So 
we believe that we can help drive change by by uniting the nuclear ecosystem to craft a comprehensive strategy that spans across various sectors. So our approach and um, we are going to, in 2024, we'll, we will be um, creating this nuclear ecosystem um, with industry, government agencies, national labs, FFRDCs, academia. This will help bridge the gaps that have held us back to create kind of this ecosystem to figure out they're all having these same issues. Like, how can we come together holistically to figure out what is the strategy? What is the implementation? How do we build this? Um, so that's one. And number two is creating an academic alliance for a sustainable future. So we're forging a dynamic academic alliance um, that extends from K-12 to community colleges and technical schools to four-year institutions um, that, are, that are actually particularly situated around power plants. Um, and it, but it's not just about location. It's also about preparing the workforce of tomorrow. So bringing these communities together, again, like K-12 all the way through, um, we're not also, we're not only fostering career awareness, right, starting in K-12, but also building pipelines, offering training certifications, enhancing recruitment strategies, you know, and most importantly, ensuring that DEIA cuts across that um, to help champion um, how we can, you know, champion best practices in DEIA. Awesome. Um, are there specific um, examples of, of what we're doing in those sort of career awareness, um, yeah. pipeline training and education um, that you can talk about? Um, yeah. Or is that still under development? Yeah, so I, I absolutely. Um, so, you know, I talked a little bit about this nuclear committee, which is, you know, a, a really a national effort. Um, we're also working separately with Nuclear Energy Institute, NEI, um, American Nuclear Society, ANS, and Institute of Nuclear Power Operators, INPO. Um, and I'm just going to highlight a few things that we're doing um, so in any, with NEI in fiscal year 24, we're working in four separate work streams um, with their working group. So NEI is, is the lead and we're collaborating um, with them. So all of these four things I'm gonna talk about is really an ecosystem that NEI developed for industry. Right. Okay. So we're, we're creating a really strong um, partnership uh, with with them to, number one, um, support them on this nuclear energy workforce career center. Um, we're going to partner with them to build this career center that will be online that supports everything from soup to nuts in terms of um, building the, the workforce um, for industry. Right. So our role is really going to be focused on academia and building kind of like utilizing our nuclear academic alliance that we're building. Um, so right. that's number one. Number two is career awareness. So um, uh, OSA will be, again, collaborating with NEI and other industry partners to con conduct webinars and meetings with nuclear um, educators and labor groups, really to gain their insights on career awareness tactics and um, create a repository of, you know, what are the best uh career awareness tactics that we can be utilizing and sharing that information. Um, we are also going to be working with them to uh, create a publicly accessible website to better highlight career opportunities. Um, I'm not, we're not quite sure yet what that's going to look like, right? Cause we're still adapting it and trying to figure out like, what are the needs that, um, you know, including like a modern approach to career pathways. Uh, 
We're also, so that's number two. Number three, we're doing work around pipelines. So um, so you can see, right, how this is kind of building career awareness, then pipelines. Right, um, right. We're identifying opportunities and best practices for improving and expanding partnerships with universities and colleges to attract workers to the nuclear industry. So kind of the areas that we're going to be taking action on are, again, having workshops and webinars um, to look at a variety of different critical um, areas and pipelines, which can include, I mean, I'm going to say some of them, uh, there's probably more that we'll be doing because, you know, this is, this is one of our things in 24, but um, financial support for key university and college programs. um, And that's like, you know, how can industry fund uh, students and things like that to, to go to college curriculum development, um, how do we have standardization? How do we share curriculum? How do we innovate cur- curriculum? How do we use new AI um, tools uh, for eff- efficiency, um, internships, scholarships and grants, pipeline tactics, yada, yeah, yeah, you know. All the things. <laughs> um, and then our, our final fourth one that we're doing with NEI is training and qualifications. So really excited to actually announce this. Um, We found out yesterday that we'll be coming out with a co-authored white paper to all the chief nuclear officers um, in in industry focused on advocacy for innovative training um, using approaches like AI to make training more efficient at nuclear power plants, right? And that's really, um, and that that white paper will go to uh, industry CNOs. And um, that's one of the things that we'll be doing. Um, we'll also be facilitating alignment between nuclear energy and tech and two-year and four-year schools. Like how does industry play into um, education and training? Uh, we are also supporting, um, so the nuclear power operators um, to modernize training materials. Um, And um, we're, so one of the things that we're doing um, with the nuclear power operators uh, is how can we build uh, curriculum programs to focus on community college college training and curriculum development. Um, And we're working with INPO and uh, nuclear training and the National Uniform Curriculum Program on that. So you can see like we have quite a lot of national efforts that OSA is already plugged into. Um, And from a local regional perspective, um, we recently partnered with Oak Ridge National Labs and UT um, Knoxville on an EDA proposal um, for to build the Tennessee nuclear power industry um, in Tennessee. So um, that's one of the regional. We're also looking for ways to support the Tennessee governor, uh, Bill Lee's initiative with the $50 million uh, program to support the expansion of nuclear um, in the state of Tennessee. Um, and how do we, you know, collaborate and help and support that as it focuses on workforce and education right. and training, um, which is going to be a, probably a primary area. Um, but, you know, we're not quite clear yet um, on what role we would have in that. But we do want to support that kind of initiative at the local regional levels. We know we have this growing industry um, that is at this inflection point. We are doing a lot to um basically help 
filled that pipeline, filled that, um, you know, the qualifications and the ed- change the education and, you know, all of these things. Um, where, where do we go from here? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think that, um, you know, as I, as so for now, for fiscal year 24, we're going to focus on nuclear energy um, in those domains, career awareness, right. pipeline, training, certification, DEIA. Um, and, you know, this is going to benefit the nation. Um, we will leverage our 150 universities. We're going to build this network to support the nuclear industry. We're going to create this kind of leadership model, um, academic alliance. Uh, and then, you know, that's really national, right? So, We're trying to ground into the national ecosystem while also supporting the local and regional, right? So national strategies are one thing, and it's another thing to take those national strategies because every local and regional area, um, you know, power plants and et cetera, have their own unique challenges. Um, And so if you create a national strategy and an implementation plan, it may not affect or impact or have the same uh, problems at the local regional, right? So we're also looking at supporting local, regional, and economic impact of nuclear energy um, and, and focus on, you know, how do we help those areas with economic analysis, cluster strategy modeling, things like that, um, diagnostics, workforce mapping, um, and, and so, and helping them with their own local regional strategies um, for their for that for the energy and in, uh, industry. Um, so that's kind of like you know what what we're doing um, from the national, local, regional perspective. Liv, I know we've covered a lot in the nuclear energy sector. Is there anything we haven't covered that you want to make sure we talk about? As I mentioned, you know we. Um, our primary focus is nuclear energy for, um, you know, for OSA. Um, but let's shift gears just for a second because we are using our model of public-private partnerships um, in two other areas. Um, so first, you know, we are collaborating with Vanderbilt, UGA, and SUNO Um Recently, we were awarded a National Science Foundation crisis planning grant um, on climate and uh, on water security. Um, So we use that nuclear model that I talked about to build the private part, private public, sorry. Uh, We use the nuclear model to build the public private partnership. And uh, we received this uh, planning grant um, to look at how can we open a national center for water security. Um, And what is what does water security mean? Right. So um, I don't think everybody realizes that across the United States, not everybody has clean drinking water, Mm -hmm. has access to clean drinking water. That's so important. And, you know, Michael, like sometimes people are like, what in the United States? Are you sure it's not in, you know, this other country that, you know, maybe a little bit more disadvantaged than the United States? Yes. In the United States, we have water scarcity. We have aging infrastructure. We have water quality problems. Sure. Flooding. 
climate change. Um, and so we uh, visioned a public-private partnership across the Southeast um, that looks at research and development challenges um, and can inform uh, local, regional, state, national um solutions, right? So back to the discovery to solutions, research mm -hmm. to how do we take that to create solutions um, and create environmental justice and equity to address these historically contemporary, uh, historical and contemporary disparities with the goal of ensuring that all communities have equitable access to safe and affordable water and an mm -hmm. equitable consideration to, you know, management um, and mitigation. Um, and so the, over the next year, we are partnered again with Vanderbilt, UGA and um, SUNO to establish a full national uh, center for water security. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, I, I feel like it really just gives back to the community and it supports, um, I mean, water, water is our oh, primary source for our body. Right, a really important issue, yeah. Yeah, um, so that's number one. Um, number two is, again, we're using the... Um, we're using the uh, same public-private partnership model um, to get a National Science Foundation, this is a long word, <laughs> Industry University Cooperation Research Center, I aka IUCRC, um, in Florida on space manufacturing. So OSA is really collaborating um, with a, a lot of universities in Florida, um, and we're helping to mobilize over 36 industry partners to come together. It's uh, um, to, uh, a huge, diverse network to enhance research and development in the sector of space manufacturing. So. Um, so we, uh, those are our kind of two other areas that we're working in, um, that we're leveraging that public-private partnership ecosystem, like holistic approach to solving really pretty significantly large challenges in this um, environment. Um, and both of those areas, our primary role is um, looking at the education, training, and workforce. So water security. Mm -hmm. Education, training, and workforce, space manufacturing, education, training, and workforce. So again, um, we have that kind of common theme going across all of our, our programming. All of the sectors, yeah. Um, yeah. If someone's listening to this conversation and they're drawn to the possibility of joining in this effort, um, they want to partner, whether they're, you know, government, whether they're industry, nonprofit, academic, yeah. um, how can people get in touch with you to learn more, to learn about what's possible, et cetera? Yeah. Um, so I, a few things. So first, you know, if people are listening and they, they think, oh, this seems interesting, how do I fit in? Like where you know, I'm a government agency, you know, where, what? how would a government agency work with OSA or how would um, an industry partner work with OSA? Um, a few things. First, you know, our role, as I've, as I've mentioned, is mobilizing a network of public-private partners really to create kind of outside-the-box thinking with new strategies and actionable implementation um, plans that could help uh, build your sector. Um, mm -hmm. 
we do things from like hosting design thinking workshops to, um, you know, helping write strategy and implementation plans and things that are actually actionable and tangible, right? So we are, I would say we are like a, um, a do tank, right? Like there's a think tank, right? Where they produce white papers and strategies that we do that and we actually do the work. So um, also another um, thing is, you know, we're really looking for partners to collaborate, to garner new grants and contracts and um, go after um, new opportunities to build a local, regional, and national education training and workforce. So that's of interest. Um, but ultimately, if I if uh, somebody's interested, I would check out our website. Um, okay. Under partners, you can see um, all the different partner types and, and ideas for each partner, um, ideas on ways that you could collaborate with us. Um, so that's pr- probably the first thing. So um, website. And then the second thing is just send me an email and, you know, we can, we can absolutely talk and um, I can kind of uh, see, see where their um, connection is. Awesome. So Liv, what's your email address? Um, My email is O-L-I-V-I-A period Blackman, B-L-A-C-K-M-O-N at O-R-A-U dot O-R-G. Awesome. Um, Liv, last question for you. What brings you joy? Uh, I think number one, I think there's a few things that bring me joy. Um, My family. My family brings me joy. And everything of a family is like, your spouse and your kids, not just my spouse and my kids. Like we have, we're Portuguese and Italian and a little Mm -hmm. bit of Greek. And so um, we have a huge network of family, right? Brother, cousins, parents, grandparents, my my 99 year old grandmother is still alive. Um, And what brings me joy is having that community, right? So I have a huge community of family and I host them all the time, like weekly for dinners and getting together and talking and, and, and having kind of that relationship. So that's my first thing that brings me joy. I'm imagining like my big fat Greek, Portuguese, Italian (laughs) wedding, right? (laughs) Um, That's number one. Um, Oddly animals bring me joy. (laughs) Uh, we ride horses, we have pet rats, um, which are actually delightful little animals. Um, so animals, I think, have this like unconditional loving sense of um, just unconditional love. And, and I think they just bring the world joy. Um, number three is adventuring. Uh, I, I, my oldest daughter um, and I, and actually my youngest uh we're big adventures. And when I say uh-huh. adventuring, I'm not talking about just like going to Italy, which we did this summer. Um, but like, how extreme can we adventure? So, <laughs> so, you know, I'm talking like hang gliding off of the Dolomites or, um, or mining in the Coliseum or <laughs> sharks, you know, because why not? Uh, but no, but, um, you know, I, we're big adventuring spirits. You know, I'm a, I'm a, awesome. my, my spirit is called to uh, to to adventure, and I think that brings me joy. Um, being outside brings me joy. Um, ultimately, so this is all kind of my personal joys. 
Um, in terms of like work slash personal, because I think it's a little bit of both, um, what what also brings me joy is helping communities. Um, mm-hmm. That I have lived, I have, well, I have not lived, I've traveled um, probably to 30 countries around the world. Um, and I have helped everything from local, regional to national efforts um, that have impacted individual and communities, everything from health to water to education to training. And watching uh, those communities and, and what um, I can help and, and being, a, being a part of that culture um, brings me joy, but most importantly is their joy in their environment, right? So, you know, coming from the United States, we are a privileged society and I've gone into other societies that may not have the same level of privilege. And, um, and yet they are some of the most joyful people and, and being mindful of like how they live their daily existence and, 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 and just the little things that bring them joy. I can take that back to the United States, but I, I just find it, um, I find joy in those cultures and I find joy in, in um, using my skills to, to help others. Uh, I find joy in that as well. Okay. My final joy, you can cut whatever you want um, is, is spirituality. I don't know if that's personal or if we should cut this, um, but I think finding joy in that kind of spiritual centeredness is really important for me, but that's it. Liv, thank you for spending this time with me today and talking about the ORU STEM Accelerator um, and also the great things that bring you joy. It has truly been a joy to learn more about um, the work of the STEM Accelerator and really what lies ahead for us and for you with the work that you're doing. So thank you for the time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Further Together, the ORU podcast. To learn more about any of the topics discussed by our experts, visit www.orau.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, at ORAU, and on Instagram, at ORAU Together. If you like Further Together, the ORAU podcast, we would appreciate you giving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews will help more people find the podcast.